This is Box Score, brought to you by Games Radar, and I'm your host, Richard Grisham. So this is part two of our look into the business of sports games with the armchair analyst, Peter Skerritt. We continue to look at the past, present, and future of the industry, and we try to figure out exactly where we're heading in the next generation. However, if you haven't listened to part one, that'd be a pretty good place to start. So without any further ado, here's part two of the Business of Sports Games podcast with Peter Skerritt. All right, so let's switch to basketball. You know, we've been, we've been bouncing back and forth here, no pun intended. Sure. Um, talk a little hoops. What's your take on the NBA Live 2K competition and starting back out? Now, I have a theory on this, and I want to hear what you think about that. Now, we, okay. all, we all know that NBA 2K is just crushing everybody. I think on the MPDs that came out, it was the only sports game that made the list, which is amazing because it's uh, you know May, right? Or we were looking at the May MPDs, and N- NBA 2K was not only in the top ten, I think it might have even been in the top five. Um, why? Well, my theory is that even though Take Two's NBA 2K series is doing fantastically, I think ultimately that the direction of Take Two's current management is to rid itself of licensed properties altogether for their own, you know, for their own self-owned IP. And I don't. I'm not just saying. I think that they've come out. Strauss Selnick has said it. So mm-hmm. it's out there. So I think that EA is bringing back, resuscitating NBA Live for two reasons. Number one is to um, repair the damage relationship with the NBA with the elite debacle. But number two, because I think that they think that that 2K is not going to be making a basketball game in two or three years. It's, that would be a shame. Uh, and the reason I say that is because of all of the sports games that have been in carryover into this console generation for Take Two, uh, NBA the NBA games have been the more consistent performers. I mean, you even as you mentioned, if you look at uh, sales for last month, uh, it was actually fourth uh, combined. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and uh, actually it was ninth individual. The uh, 360 version placed ninth sold to over 60,000 copies which isn't a lot but still in it placed ninth in out of 10 games that are listed so the game still p- performs well and for uh take two to kind of give that up either indicates that there's some restructuring going on within or that they just they, they want to kind of get rid of the sports division altogether they don't have any need or desire to be in it now that's really more where i'm thinking is is again just because their history is of shedding their sports games, right? I mean, mm-hmm. college yeah. hoops gone, NHL gone, MLB will be gone. Top yeah. spin, will we see another top spin? Who knows? You mm-hmm. know, so NBA is it. So I just, I just think that, you know, when push comes to shove in two or three years, I just, I think that. EA is probably thinking this is just, you know, if we don't have a basketball game, we're going to miss an opportunity to be the only basketball game. Sure, and that's what I think it's going to be. If if your theory is correct and Take-Two is starting to move away, and you're actually not the first person to, to mention this to me. A couple of other colleagues have said the same. So uh, I can see why EA is doing it, but at the same time, I think it's a potential loss for fans of the sport. Because I, until EA proves to me that they can actually get it right, 
I just I I'll believe it when I see it. And right now, from what I've seen and what I've heard, I don't. And I want to be clear here too. NBA 2K12 was my game of my sports game of the year last year. Mm-hmm. I love this game. I love the franchise. I've loved it for years. I mean, even before you know the 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 groundbreaking 2K11 with the Jordan Challenge, this game has been one of my annual favorites every year. I'm <laughs> by no means saying I want it to go away. Sure, um, but you know you just have to look at the landscape, and and it's pretty jarring what has happened, and um, and and because of that, that's what I mean. Like I'm. I, I was confused as to why Electronic Arts elected to jump back into the basketball arena mm-hmm. when the competition is so incredibly good. It it was yeah. baffling to me. But I'm I'm thinking, like I said, I just think they're thinking more long term than anything else, and they got to come back at some point. So why not now? But uh, if that's not what they're thinking, I don't know what their reasoning is to get back into the NBA with. 2K being so strong. I, I think that if they have an opening with a license, I think that it, there's still an opportunity to make some money. If you make a game that stands out on its own, maybe there's something that it's going to do differently than the 2K series. Maybe it's going to play a little faster. Maybe it's going to be a little bit more loose. Maybe uh, it's going to be a little bit more accessible to people that aren't necessarily diehard fans of the sport. Right. You know, you may have that niche there where you can start to grow a fan base from the ground up or win them back after live went away for a little bit. Right. Uh, but, you know, in terms of just overall quality and believe me, basketball is not my more senior sport. I, I've tried to play NBA 2K and, and I'm pretty much an embarrassment to anybody who dribbles a basketball. But the, you can't deny that the game emulates the sport better than anything that we've seen arguably in video game history. Yes. It's, you know, and we've seen basketball games come and go for years and years and years. Right. And the two K, you know, the NBA two K has gotten it right progressively better from when the series debuted on the dreamcast forward. So that's why I think if, if your theory is right, and again, you're not alone in thinking that, if, if your theory is right, the, the ones who really stand to lose here are going to be the fans of the sport, and that's a shame. Yeah, and but you know, you are right. It is a, it is a very daunting game to play, um, and it is not perfect. Uh, it, you know, it's difficult to pass mm-hmm. um, if you're not making the right pass at the right time. It is very difficult to shoot. Uh, again, you know, so many times you'll take a shot you think is wide open and you go for a layup and you'll miss it and things like that. So it is a daunting game. There's a lot going on in the game. I mean, I've sort of, I've definitely scratched the surface, but there's even a lot more going on in layers, you know, with, with play calling and, and the different types of, I mean, I don't know if you've ever even gone through the tutorial. There is a, I think like 20, 20 step tutorial where you can learn how to do all of the ridiculous <laughs> kinds of moves that you can make and dribbles and uh, it, it's crazy. So it is a it's a huge investment in time for for someone to truly learn how to play the NBA 2K series or the, mm-hmm. the 2K game is a significant a investment in time um, and b once you learn the stuff remembering the stuff is huge and then three being able to execute it. It's mm-hmm. it is wildly in depth. I think even more in depth than Madden, which also scares a lot of people off. So you you say something that's interesting, which is if EA goes in the direction of okay, it's not going to look as great, it's not going to play as great, but 
people, <laughs> a lot more people can actually play the game, complete a pass, make a jumper. And by the way, the online is excellent and easy, which is another area where 2K has struggled. Maybe that's how they're going to win and, and, and get some fans back in. Frankly, I mean, I think it's less than it used to be, but there are some people who just walk into a game store and they'll see a EA Sports labeled basketball game and and they'll think about buying it and maybe pick it up for themselves or their kids. Yeah, I mean, it's as it is with any sport. I, I mean, I I don't have an athletic history myself. One of the reasons, or one of the things that endeared me to sports video games since I was young, was being able to kind of put yourself in that in that role of that athlete without actually having the skill or the talent to do so. Uh, and just being able to pick up and play without having to have all of the skills necessary to, to succeed. Uh, and in a game like a, like an NBA 2K or even a Madden where the, the skill and the strategy and the, the play mechanics are so deep, you know, surefire fans of the sport are going to want to invest that time. But for people that are more passing fans, they watch football every Sunday or they, you know, when it's playoff basketball time, they're glued to the TV. If you, if you bury people with those kind of mechanics, a lot of the time, especially with people not having a bunch of free time these days, they're just going to go, ah, nah, I don't think so. And that's where you have an opening for somebody like EA to come in with a, a somewhat lighter but still realistic experience where they can just say, all right, I'm just going to pick up this game and I'm just going to play. I'm going to tear down the floor and, you know, I'm going to start pouring in points or I'm going to be able to get behind the plate and, or get behind the, the pitcher's mound and just fire pitches and not have to worry about where to call my balls and strikes and whether to pitch the guy high or low, just rear back and fire. These, this kind of accessibility, especially these days, is something that's been kind of forgotten, but is still very, very, very important. Well, it is a tough spot, and I ask this to developers all the time because, you know, you've always – the people who buy your game more than anything else, you know, your core is the hardcore players who are demanding realism, 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 immerse me, immerse me, make it – give me every single thing that I could possibly see in a game. But but you're right. It does then – if it's not alienating some of the casual, if it's not alienating all of the casual players, there's certainly some who are just completely intimidated by the the scope of these games. It's a very difficult balancing act for the games these days because now in these consoles and certainly the next generation, it's almost a curse with the amount of realism that they can do because mm-hmm. as you get more realistic, you also just get more complicated. Or at least yeah, that's the direction it's gone. Sure. So you mentioned this. One of the big announcements at E3 was the transition of the UFC license from THQ to, surprise, EA Sports. And it came out shortly afterwards that the game, the the last UFC game, I believe I got this right. I could be wrong. It sold 2 million copies and it still didn't break even. How is that possible? It seems crazy that a 2 million seller can't break even. Well, we talked about this before and you know we'll we'll raise it again. Development budgets are crazy it's it's such a uh, a huge effort now between bringing enough people on to get the game done in deadline and then there's marketing and there's uh you know there's retail promotion there's community management there's network building to make sure the game runs online there's licensing involved all of these things gradually start to add up and before you know it if you look at the overall development budget and once everyone else gets their cut, when a game sells, sometimes you know a, a million, a million and a half, even two million in THQ's case, just is no longer a break-even number. 
That's amazing. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that if you sold a million copies of a game, you were celebrating. Your stock price was going up, and and you were crowned, you know, the king of the king of the world. That's unbelievable. Now I have a theory, another theory. Uh, evidently, I have a lot of theories on what EA Sports is going to do with this license. Um, I'd like your take on it uh, and get your thoughts on it. So my thought is that EA is going to do nothing with this license now, but uh, the it'll be a day and date new next generation console launch title just like fight night round three was or fight night round two whichever the fight night that hit when the 360 launched that's what i think he is going to do with this do you agree or or am i off base on this one i can see where that theory would actually come to fruition uh i don't think again given the long tail of the console generation we're in now i just don't think that it makes sense for ea to start pouring into uh, current generation development for another uh, UFC game, especially since we just had one. Uh, what was it? Uh, it was earlier this year, wasn't it? Yes. Um, so I don't think... And a good, a good game, by the way. I mean, a, a buddy of mine, Mike Suzik, uh, over at Fourth String, big fan of that game. I don't think that there's a real push or a need for EA to do anything with the license right now. I think what you do is we know that uh, next generation development kits are floating around out there. We know, although they're not admitting it up front because Sony and Microsoft don't want us to know that they exist. Uh, I think that EA just has a team that's working on it and then maybe not launch window title, but maybe shortly thereafter. I could see a, a UFC game coming with you know, using Unreal Engine 4 or whatever graphics engine that we're going to have uh they will take advantage of it next generation but i just think now uh it would be kind of a time sink and a resource sink if they tried to throw something together in the next 12 months doesn't make a lot of sense to me you know and speaking of ea sports i mean they completely dominate the sports landscape i mean 2k sports we talked about they make nba and top spin maybe you know if they're even top spin is going to continue konami makes one major sports game the, the pro evolution soccer the winning, you know, winning 11, but it's really pretty much EA sports. So is there any way that another publisher or developer steps into the sports genre? It's possible. Maybe. Um, I think it's the next generation before any other publisher thinks about stepping into the ring. Uh, it could be Microsoft. We know that Microsoft has, taken steps to do its own sports games in the past. Right. With uh, Inside Pitch, I believe it was, and Inside yeah, Drive. Inside Drive, and uh, there was an NFL game as well. NFL Fever, I think it was. Yes, there you go, Fever. And they had their XSN. It was like, it was actually ahead of its time, their sort of online sports tournaments and leagues and stuff like that. Um, the games were bad, but the ideas behind it were pretty good. I I played more hours on Lynx 2004 than I should probably comment on publicly. But that was I remember playing that game in the tournaments that were kept track of on the XSN website. I felt more pressure when I knew that I was playing in a real tournament that was being tracked than like any golf game I'd ever played mm-hmm. before. It was weird how all of a sudden because now it was being tracked, there was it was a big deal. So I. I, I, Microsoft could jump back in, especially if the Major League Baseball license is kind of up in the air still and EA doesn't come through, as I think. Um, 
I want to say that Sony could possibly try and expand outside of baseball, but given their financial situation, I don't necessarily right. think that they have the financial capital to fund another, you know, another NBA game, and those have been not so good. They haven't been around for at least three years, and yeah, they they and that was a game that had a great idea. They went in a very different direction. They had the very, a whole story mode. Mm-hmm. Um, which I really enjoyed. Unfortunately, the, the the basketball itself was ordinary at best, and and sometimes it wasn't even ordinary. Yeah, but I mean that's that's it really. I don't see Ubisoft wanting to get involved. I think that Activision is too focused on very core intellectual properties that are you know big hits guaranteed. They tried their hand at NASCAR, and I think that that license kind of blew up on them a little bit. Yep. So. I don't see that happening. I don't see a, a company like a Capcom or Konami really coming forward and putting their chips in. I know Konami is still doing PES, and they do have the Power Pro series for baseball, which oh, has yeah, been yeah. up and down, but it, it really didn't sell all that well, both uh, digitally and on disc. It does well in Japan, right? But it definitely doesn't make a mark in the United States. No. I mean, I, I enjoyed them. On the Wii, but specifically because it was uh, it was reminiscent of uh, our RBI, RBI baseball and anything Absolutely. else. Yep. And and the thing that's really disappointing to me is Activision also had uh, and you might have played at the uh, the Little League baseball games that Activision did. I actually had a blast with mm. um, because they felt more arcade style, and I I loved them. But the, Activision is not going to pursue the Little League license again because nobody bought the games. So. Uh, aside from Sony and Microsoft and EA and Take-Two really being the wild card, I don't necessarily see another company coming forward, at least short-term, to do anything sports. I think what you see is what you get. So is it is the cost of entry so high between the license and the amount of time and money it takes to get a team up and running to develop, publish, and market a game? Is it is it just so high that pretty much no one either can break in um, uh, and the ones who could financially break in, like you mentioned, just don't want to. Is that pretty yeah. much what it comes down to? I think that's it. Now, it could be interesting to see what happens if you're right and Take-Two does uh, jump ship on sports altogether because that would leave visual concepts looking for a new home. And anyone could pick them up, uh, and they have a proven pedigree as far as at least – programming sports games and developing developing them it's just a question of who wants to take that risk and we'd have to wait until uh, the next generation to really see what happens with that so speaking of um next generation we are in the quote-unquote next generation of handhelds what's your take on where the vita is now and over the course of the next year or so in relation to sports games i mean i was on record as saying the Vita could really change the way that sports gamers play with the whole notion of being able to easily share your experience from your PS3 to your Vita. Mm-hmm. I to to this day, I'm regularly playing my Road to the Show guy on both my Vita and the PS3 and transferring them back and forth. But I was terribly disappointed, as was pretty much everybody who's a fan of the Vita, with the lack of sports titles at E3. Um, because, like I said, especially because I'm I'm such a fan of the device, I love it. What's your take on on Vita in sports games? It, it, it's frustrating because Vita is such a great device in what it does and what it is, uh, but the, 
the future does not, at least at this point, and granted it's only been four months, isn't really all that promising. I've publicly said that Sony really did not do at E3 what they needed to do in getting word about the Vita out there. Uh, the the bundle deal that came came up with, which is going to be for Assassin's Creed, isn't coming out for several months. Um, they there was a game sizzle trailer that they didn't even show during their own press conference, and it all it, it just seemed to me like it was secondary and really shouldn't be considering how poor the sales have been out of the gate. So if we're if we're looking at it from a sports game perspective, it's difficult for companies like EA or Take Two to want to invest a lot of time in a platform that doesn't look like it has a lot of potential moving forward in the near term uh, unless a device can show that there's sales potential and that there's an installed user base that's going to make the return on investment worth it it's difficult to commit anything but the absolute guaranteed sellers to a device like that which is why you know a fifa is going to be coming uh fifa of course being the really one of if not the flagship sports title for ea uh, but a game like NBA 2K, it's like, well, you know, how, how many how many Vitas are out there? You know, it's certainly this this month's sales, which unfortunately are under lock and key, were nothing to be writing home about at all. As a matter of fact, they're lower than GameCube sales in 2005. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's hard to commit. It's it's a vicious cycle almost. It's like, well, we can't sell. Vitas without the games. Well, we really don't want to make games unless there are Vitas out there for us to put them on. And it just keeps repeating and going around in a circle. And it becomes very difficult unless Sony puts money out there as a guarantee and say, you know, you're going to get paid no matter what. We just need this stuff. And again, getting back to Sony's financial picture, I just don't know that, that they have the cash and capital to make that kind of thing happen on a consistent basis. So is, and I hate to even say this out loud because I love my Vita. I really do. And I play it on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I, as I was telling you before we, we started, I'm going to be on five planes in four days next week. And then I'm flying to Tokyo the week after that. I mean, I'm going to be playing it a ton, a ton more than my 3DS, which I'll also be playing. But is it a combination of the fact that, I, that number one, Sony's financials are so bad that they can't invest the money to promote it and, and to, to pay the publishers and developers, you know, some some money that would make their balance sheets better. But it really is does it come down to is that Sony made a beautiful machine for a market that doesn't want it? It's it's possible. I think that the timing for the Vita, it's the the market is just so competitive and not even just competing with with 3DS which it is but the proliferation of mobile and tablet has just become so big that there's it's difficult to sell a game specific $250 device to anybody what it, it, people want to know what else it does if i'm going to buy one device if i have enough disposable income to buy one device what is it going to do for me is it going to do x y and z the iPad, the tablets, smartphones, they can do all of these things and play games. The Vita, well, it can play games and do one or two other things. So it becomes less of a value proposition for people who aren't the corest of the core gaming consumer. So, I mean, has the phenomenon of the iPad and the iPhone gaming and the evaporation of, of the much of the market of the portable gaming, you know, the 3DS Vita, 
market just made traditional handheld gaming obsolete, frankly, kind of like a, you know, record stores and, and movie rental stores. I mean, uh, is this it for what we have known for the last couple decades of Game Boys and PSPs? Is this it? No, it's it's there's going to be coexistence, at least coexistence at first. Um, I don't see handheld specific gaming going away, at least entirely. I think that Nintendo's intellectual properties are strong enough where they'll be sticking around because you can't play Mario and Zelda and their licenses anywhere else, at least yet. not until yet. yet. But as as far as Sony goes, it becomes very difficult because their exclusive intellectual properties don't stand up right. to the timelessness that Nintendo has for whatever reason. So it becomes a very difficult proposition for Sony to be able to expect to sell numbers that they saw with the PSP a generation ago. And Nintendo has to adjust to that too. 3DSs will sell. They continue to sell well in Japan, not nearly as well in the U.S., but they're not going to sell nearly what the DS sold last generation because Apple and tablet and smartphone gaming are now eating into that market at least somewhat. So that removes some of your potential audience. Not all, but some. You know, we've spoken about a little bit, you know, here and there, but Apple is sort of the elephant in the room in the entire video game world. They've got the money. They have got the political clout where if they walk into a room or they walk into a room where Major League Baseball or the NFL, they would listen. Is there any way that Apple somehow introduces itself over the next couple of years and take out of left field becomes a dominant player in a sports game world with some sort of console or device or game that they produce and or distribute i i know better than to never say never i do think if we're using um let's use baseball injury lists for a point of reference here i would I'd put it as doubtful okay um you know i I think that there's a small possibility. Obviously, they could decide to do anything, but I think more likely what we see is something like an Apple TV device Mm -hmm. or them just kind of supplying the hardware and then leaving it to third-party publishers and game developers to populate. Say, all right, here's what this is. This is the hardware that you get to to use. Or perhaps it's even um, something streaming like an OnLive or a Gaikai or something like that. We're providing you with the hardware in the vehicle. All you have to do is provide the software, give us the game, and we'll get it to people that you want to get it to. So I, I don't think that Apple necessarily gets involved as a major game player per se, but I do think that they supply the vehicles so that third-party publishers and game developers can take advantage uh, and get their games into more and more homes or hands. You know, it's a funny industry that we're talking about. It was not that long ago <laughs> that... We were talking about motion controls being the wave of the future. <laughs> yeah. You know, and <laughs> the Wii, you know, where you would bowl and hit a tennis racket and, you know, box and, and then mm-hmm. the move comes out and and connect. And I don't know about you, but motion controls never made sense for me as a sports game fan. They still don't. And, you know, the Microsoft Joe Montana connect you know, where he's shouting at the screen, telling it to do things where, mm. you know, if you press a button, you can do it much easier. Uh, 
we are done with any sort of real motion control based sports game experience, right? Am I am I am I right about that or no? I don't think so. I think that Microsoft is is dedicated uh, through the rest of this generation, at least into the start of next generation with Connect. So I think that we're going to at least see Connect functionality, maybe not primary, but I think that there will be some Connect functionality uh, moving forward. Uh, in terms of motion control for for Wii U or for Wii games, I will say this. Uh, Wii Sports is what sold me on the Wii, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a former league bowler, uh, I actually really got a kick out of using the Wii remote in my hand and, and actually doing the bowling motion and feeling like I could put hook on the ball at will. Right. Uh, so if there was another Wii Sports game, as there really should be, and I don't know why Nintendo isn't going that route for Wii U, but that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> um, I, I think that we're going to see more of an expansion of that. I think something that we saw during the Nintendo Direct presentation with the Wii U tablet showing the lie of the golf ball and basically being a a point of impact for uh, a future golf game, I think things things like that in asymmetrical gaming where what happens on the Wii U screen is different than what happens on the TV screen could add something to the motion system, but it will never be the big... You know, this is the wave of the future. Everyone's going to jump on board. That I think that Nintendo or Microsoft or Sony really wanted it to be. I think it'll be around. I think it'll stick around. But that's because the companies invested so much money in the technology that it would basically be thro- like you draw for THQ would be throwing it away, and they don't want to do that. I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to sound like a grumpy old man. You know, back in my day, we used a controller, and that's the way we liked it. But on the other hand, I fail to see other than, like you say, there are certain, you can point to certain experiences that can be fun, like bowling on the Wii U or even, you know, the Tiger Woods Connect Golf, right? Like that at least makes sense because you're stationary and you swing. But I mean, over time, I, I just don't see, I mean, I'm not going to play basketball by jumping around my room and trying to to hit a jump shot or make a dunk i'm not going to be running around trying to throw a football on madden in the living room i just it's hard for me to see where other than gimmicks or in small certain situations that anything resembling motion controls um, makes any sense for sports gamers and i'm just i'm i'm hoping against hope that the next generation we we get back to not forcing it. It just, it all feel, or most of it feels so forced. And that, that's where it frustrates me. Mm -hmm. I I hear you. I mean, uh, I can tell you that one of my biggest, uh, both likes and dislikes about Tiger Woods 13 was how it tried to implement the connect control. Even if you were using a controller with the swing meter, it was, uh, getting used to that new swing meter was difficult for me. Uh, I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, I, I, when it works, it's very rewarding. But when it doesn't work and when it, it's like, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you not giving me the option to turn this off? I can't chip, by the way. You talk about we can't hit in uh, MLB. I can't chip. <laughs> I can drive and I can putt, but I can't chip. I'm either 20 feet too short or 100 feet too yep. long. Yeah. I, uh, and it, it's too bad that it's something like that because they're so bullish on motion control and trying to get it out there. Uh, especially for golf, because it seems to be the one sport that it lends itself the most to. Right. Because the basic golf swing, when you're talking about motion control, is is 
fairly easy to emulate with minor calculation differences depending on how you crack your wrist or except, the arc of your swing. And, except putting. Putting is still wonky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well my putting's wonky in real life, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just I can't see motion control just completely going the way of the Dodo uh, just yet. I think that Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo are going to talk to third-party publishers and go, you just don't give up on this yet. We're making the technology better. We're giving you more options. Just see what you can do with it. And I, I think it sticks around. But I do think that there would be no Im- imminent danger in the next generation of traditional controls just going away. So don't worry about that. Good. Because that's, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because my son, he's not even five years old yet. But I have, you know, various video game systems around the house. And he has completely taken to a controller. He loves Portal 2. He used to watch me play it and just loved Wheatley and loved the, you know, the turrets, which he calls lasers, you know, how they, the the little sing-song way of speaking. And he just, and and once he finally watched me play it enough, he's like, can I try, can I try? And he relatively quickly got the hands of control. And now he's, he's a master with a, you know, with a controller. And we were playing the Wii a few days ago and he gets very frustrated because of the you know you have to point it at the screen the right way and and you have to do this and that and and again the technology can be improved but you know again i'm beating a dead horse but i just i just really think the traditional control we don't need to reinvent controllers i think and and that's i don't know it just seems to be like regular controllers really are and continue to be the best way to be the input mechanisms for the games that we play sure um, and I will get off my soapbox now. It seems, <laughs> it's, it seems, it even seems like, the, and we'll kind of wrap up on this, the, the combination of iOS and even Steam, which we haven't even talked about, but Steam mm-hmm. is another huge uh, disruptive technology out there, and digital titles, they're making the traditional $60 game less and less palatable to more and more people, especially, I think, you know, we can all agree that the people who got you know, caught up in the Wii phenomenon are now either playing, if they are playing games, they are playing them on their smartphone or their iPad or on mm-hmm. Facebook. Mm-hmm. So are we staring at the end of an era of a full price sports video game on a console in the next few years because of this massive shift in the way that pricing is being viewed by your typical not your core but your typical consumer uh not if the console gaming sector has any say about it uh i think that they're going to keep the standardized pricing tier where it is as long as they possibly can uh their argument basically is that and and it's true that you know they're supplying a, a deeper experience and more content and it takes more to put these games together versus the development budget that it takes for uh, an iOS or a smartphone game. And in order to, you know, you know, if you want to play, you got to, you got to pay a little bit of money. And I, I, I understand it from that aspect, but at the same time, you're looking at, again, talking about the average consumer that just wants to play a game when he or she gets home from work or has some time on a weekend, you know, you can spend two, three dollars on a smartphone or a tablet device to play a game for a few minutes, or you spend twenty to thirty times that for a, a console game, and 
hope that you like it with no possibility or recourse if you don't. And by the way, that game that you spent a couple bucks on follows you around wherever you go. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to spend any money on it. But if you like it, then you do start to spend money on it. I mean, free-to-play, it wasn't that long ago that free-to-play was viewed as negatively. And now I think a lot of a lot of people are viewing free-to-play as, you know, when you're successful, even with a small group of people that will pay, you know, once they get into the game, there's a lot of... A lot of examples of companies doing extremely well using that model. Yeah, I, uh, I Crytek uh, is going to be doing the same thing with its games once Crisis Three is done, uh, and that's major considering the projects that they've worked on. Uh, I just think that free to play isn't necessarily the outwardly bad word or bad term that it was even a couple of years ago. I can tell you that in Certain circles during E3 and just after the show, free-to-play still made a lot of developers bristle. It's almost, uh, it almost seems unethical, uh, but it's, just, it's, it's the way things are going. People need to have that very low or no point of entry to be able to try the game first and get into it and find out whether it's something they want to invest in. Because if they have to invest a full $50 and $60 front-loaded and it's a game that they don't like, that they don't enjoy, that they didn't play – not only does the game just wind up getting sold and wind up being bought used somewhere, but it also tends to put a damper on the company and on the industry as a whole. It's like, why, you know, why are you putting me in a position where I have no recourse but to find out if I like the game, I have to spend the $50 uh, to find out. Even with a Redbox situation, there are online passes and other aspects that you can't get around because it's constantly be- because the lower price games are constantly being battled by by publishers so you know i can't help but but and and the people who make and publish and develop these games they're smarter than i am and they know the business better than i am so I, i'm not trying to sound pompous here but it just it, it continues to feel to me like there's a there's a staunch group of people in in this industry who are using antiquated notions, you know, things that worked five, ten years ago that just aren't going to work in five or ten years. You know, just doing things the way that they do it because that's the way that it's always been done when it just seems like the market is clearly indicating that that's not how it is. And there's examples of innovative thinking. Like, I I love the way that EA put out the Fight Night game, digitally downloadable, where you could buy chunks of the game for five bucks. Mm-hmm. Like, I love playing the story mode. And it just seems to me like it would be so much so much more valuable for the consumer and potentially more profitable for the publishers and developers. I mean, look how big the Madden game is and, and how big NCAA football is. And, and if I could buy just the Heisman Trophy mode in NCAA for 5 bucks and play that, and if it's so good, then spend another 5 or 10 bucks on a couple more modes or you know instead of paying the full 60 bucks i could pay 50 bucks for the full game if i get it digitally it doesn't necessarily have to be free to play but i just gotta believe that over the next couple of years as people continue to get used to paying nothing for the for to be able to play versions of games and play pay very little you know but if they want to advance their characters they want to get more pay more it's just i can't help but feeling that we have that the the pricing model has got to change and it's got to change a lot sooner rather than later 
because of the way the consumers are being conditioned by so many other gameplay models out there? Uh, if it's going to change, it's going to have to come after learning some hard lessons. Basically, right now, everyone seems to think that you know, with sales being trending down like they are now, uh, everyone's seeming to think that it's only because these consoles are old and people are ready to move on to another console. And once the new consoles come, things will be just like they were. If that theory verifies, prices won't change. Right. Because consumers will have proven that they were just looking for something new to play and that they, they were bored with where we are. But if, and this is the school of thought that I subscribe to, if consumers don't come flocking back when the next generation of consoles come out and sales continue to be lower than they were, then changes are going to have to be made in order to survive. It won't be a case of, well, you know, we're too proud to make these changes or this really isn't going to be good for our licensing or not good for our IP. None of that's going to matter. It's going to be a matter of we need to be able to survive. We need to be able to compete with these other market elements that are kind of marginalizing the console sector. And the only way to – or the first way to do it is to start fixing the pricing model, make it less standardized, more flexible – and make it more accessible for everybody to be able to want to get involved once again. And isn't the Vita the canary in the coal mine? I mean, I can't help but continue to come back to it. The Vita, to me, feels like how the next generation is going to go. Like, I think Sony thought it was going to sell a lot better. I think a lot of people thought it was going to sell a lot better. And conversely, a lot of people said that it, that it wouldn't. Isn't it that, you know, I've said it now twice, isn't it the canary in the coal mine for the next generation of, of console hardware? It's, it could be a harbinger of things to come, sure. If the value proposition is not perceived to be worth whatever the next generation of consoles is going to sell for, whether it's going to be $300 or 350 or, heaven forbid, if it's more than that, oh then, you know then people aren't going to jump on board. They're going to look at it and say, well, you know what? I could buy my console for that, or I could just use that money and spend a little bit more and get myself an iPad, which does the same thing and a lot more, and I can take it wherever I go. Right. And that is the thing. Like the, you know, Your iPad and your iPhone, um, there are console-esque experiences that can be held. Again, not, not for sports, not yet. But mm-hmm. even again, I mean, I, I mentioned it. I think at the top of the show, you know, there's a couple of little tiny sports games that are nothing like the their console cousins, but are a heck of a lot of fun. That I play more New Star Soccer right now than I do a FIFA, and mm-hmm. there's no comparison between the two. And FIFA is is an amazing game, but if I'm doing that as a guy who loves sports games. That's not necessarily a great sign for, and of course, I'm not the right guy to even look at, right? Because I'm buying the new hardware the day it comes out. I'm buying every major sports game the day it comes out. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot less of me out there than there is of the people who um, just won't even consider dropping three or four or five hundred bucks on a new console. Another couple hundred bucks for two or three games. And that's that's the thing is we. People who are upset most by this news about the concept about the console industry being potentially in trouble or sales being down. When you talked about well, why, uh, you know, why does that make some people mad? It makes some people mad because they don't want to think about the fact that their 
could potentially be a problem. We're creating situations that don't exist. That's why people don't like analysts at all. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that this particular industry, the console sector, blew up so much over this console generation because so many people bought into what the Wii was selling, what Nintendo was selling with the Wii, that the expectations are now exponentially higher than they've ever been. Mm. If we don't have the same level of success, if you look at it from an investor standpoint, if you don't have the same level of success, it is a failure. Pure and simple. It is a failure if we don't have those same kind of numbers. Is it fair to assume that? No, of course it's not fair because you can't really catch lightning in a bottle twice. But that's how it's going to be perceived is even if we're slower, even if we sell less consoles next generation, even if there is some level of success there, it's not going to be the level of success that we've now been conditioned to expect because we had one spectacular generation of consoles that sold millions. And that that major console that that provided the foundation for that billion selling was often derided and made fun of by the core gamers, in particular sports gamers who had absolutely nothing to play on that platform. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Well, yeah. this, um, even though I feel like it was kind of a of a of a uh, negative tone, just because we're in a bit of a tough sales cycle, was a blast. Thank Peter, you, Peter Scarrett, the armchair analyst, writes for Pop Zara. PopZara.com, an amazing amount of E3 content is on there. It's spectacular. Um, also, Consolation. Mr. Scarrett, thank you so much. I, I hope we can do this again sometime. My pleasure. I'll look forward to it. Excellent. So thank you very much. And uh, remember to, uh, to uh, check out Mr. Scarrett's work. And uh, we'll talk with you again soon. Excellent. Thank you. that wraps up part two of the business sports games podcast a special thanks to peter scarrett the armchair analyst for joining me i really appreciate it and i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did thanks for listening to this episode of box score brought to you by games radar please subscribe to this show on itunes and give it a rating too while you're there and i'm your host richard grisham you can follow me on twitter my handle is rich grisham tweet me any thoughts questions or comments about this or future shows and also follow games radar at their handle games radar be sure to read my weekly box score column each and every Thursday on the site. Every click counts. So until next time, this is Richard Grisham for Box Score.